This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, sharing the hyperlocal, controversial and quirky stories of the Waikato region. I'm your host, Gary Farrow. Our backyards are battlefields. Weaponized weevils, shield bugs and stag beetles are constantly waging war in the quest to reproduce. These invertebrates and many more are of interest to Dr Chrissy Painting, a senior lecturer at the University of Waikato. She is so interested that her team have even gone as far as putting weevils on miniature DIY treadmills. Dr. Painting joins us on WTS to talk about battles among our local bugs. So yeah, I'm Dr. Chrissy Painting. Um, I'm a senior lecturer and behavioural ecologist at the University of Waikato. Um, so I, I became interested in insects, I guess, well, I mean, I was always into the outdoors. I was a pretty wild kid. I grew up in um, suburban Auckland, but we had a little bit of space around our property where we could kind of hang out in the bush. We had a creek, and so, yeah, lots of damming for eels and catching bugs and, um, you know, looking at feathers and, and leaves in the bush. Um, but not no sort of formal idea that insects were what I was into by any means. Um, I actually wanted to become a horticulturist, so I went down to Lincoln University for my undergrad and with the plan to, to study horticulture. Uh, but once I got there, I was doing sort of a very general sort of science degree at the very beginning and then realised ecology was really what I was interested in. Uh, so yeah, went down the track of sort of ecology and evolution uh, and then in my third year took a paper on insect diversity and entomology and that's when I sort of realised that bugs were for me professionally. Mm. So yeah, just, I knew I sort of wanted to come back by that stage to do a PhD eventually. So insects are an intrinsic part of the ecology of any environment, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, there's they make up, insects just on their own make up about half of all life on Earth. So they're just by sheer volume, they're obviously very, very important um, contributors to all ecosystems on Earth, really. Um, yeah, and they, and they serve all sorts of different ecosystem services. So they are predators of things we might not really like. Um, they're prey for some of our favourite species. They're recyclers, decomposers, um, pollinators all that kind of stuff. So yeah, very important little critters to know about. They've filled an extremely important biological niche. The world literally wouldn't be what it is without insects. Right, I mean, it's an interesting story about bees. I think there's often a bit of a misconception around that. So if we're talking in in New Zealand terms anyway, I mean, honeybees are an introduced species. They're actually doing really, really well. We've actually never had more honeybees in New Zealand than we do now. The industry, particularly around Manuka honey, is just booming so we don't really need to worry too much about them in terms of um, their contribution at the moment although you know they're certainly affected by things like pesticides and you know habitat um, 
removal and all that kind of stuff but I think we do need to worry more generally about insects and in New Zealand we have so we, we actually don't have any other social bees that are native like a honeybee so honeybees bumblebees they're all introduced um, but our native bees are actually quite diverse I think if I'm not wrong there's 23 species maybe um, might, might not be quite right um, but all of them are solitary so they're all really important pollinators but you know obviously in, in before European times, they would have been really important pollinators for our native plants. And there is evidence that they're doing, you know, a lot of crop pollination as well. So absolutely, a lot of our native um, bees are things we should really be worrying about. And we don't just don't know so much about our native bee fauna at all. So what about insects specifically interests you? The, 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 was there something that grabbed you when you started studying them? Yeah, I mean... Lots of things interest me about them. Um, I guess you know where my research journey went was that I, I, I have this big curiosity and, and sort of yeah intrigue and in trying to understand why insects, in particular, or animals generally, but particularly for insects, why they look and behave so differently among among all the different species. You know, there's 20,000 species of insects just in New Zealand, um, a million to 80 million around the world, depending on um, what kind of estimates you um, is your favourite. Uh, and they all, you know, even a group of really closely related species will look and behave incredibly different. And that in itself is just really um, intriguing to me. So my research journey is kind of taking me down this line of trying to figure out, like, if we hone in on a one group of, of insects, um, you know what what drives that variation among those species why do we you know see certain colors in one species and certain colors in another um and i within that within that kind of bigger question of trying to understand variation i'm particularly interested in, in mating behavior and um, sort of reproductive behavior and with that comes the evolution of some absolutely wacky behaviors and really cool um, structures and so my big focus has been on weaponry animal weapons so trying to understand why males in particular have evolved these ginormous structures that just disproportionately make up their otherwise very little bodies and what they use them for how they've evolved um, and why they might look and behave differently between species weapons cannot either well, generally speaking they can either be of um, an extension or a modification of the original bit of its body so for example its mouth parts might have just through evolutionary time become enormously enlarged so that they're now not just for eating but also for you know throwing a unrivaled male off a tree for example um, or maybe the legs the hind legs have, have got these massive femur or tibia for squeezing their opponents um, so that's one type of, of weapons but also, you can have completely novel weapons where some entirely different body part has evolved just for solely being used as a weapon. So if you think of like animal horns, um, deer antler, um, yeah, big spines that are coming off different parts of the body structure, those are body structures that are just used for that one purpose of fighting. So when people think about weaponized insects i guess they would think of bees or of wasps mm, yeah. uh, but do we have other species in new zealand that are weaponized that's actually really raises a really good point so when we're talking about weapons 
again, you can actually think of two different types of weapons. So I think what you're referring to there when you're talking about bees and wasps is a weapon that's used for defense. So I guess you're probably referring to the stinger, right? So yeah, there's lots of animals that have weaponry for 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 defending themselves, and that's not usually sex-related. So both bees are a weird exception because they're pretty much all female Um, but um, when we're talking about say a porcupine's spines that are all over its body you could certainly say that's a weapon but both males and females have it because it's for for protecting itself the weapons that I'm interested in are under what we call sexual selection so they're not about its survival they're all about its ability to have more babies to to reproduce at a higher level Um, And so there's lots and lots of different animals um, that have weapons within the insect world. Yeah, we can think of dung beetles with their big horns. Um, We can think about, um, I'm trying to think of some good New Zealand examples. There's some lovely little um, anthropid or fungus weevils that have huge big shields on the front of their heads that they kind of use to bash up against other males. Um, We've got lovely little stag beetles where, again, it's only the males that have these big and large mandibles that they use to kind of battle it out um, over sap resources for females. So lots of different examples. Um, But yeah, I have a favourite if you'd like to hear a little bit more about it. Um, So yeah, so when I started my PhD um, in 2009, I was fascinated by the New Zealand giraffe weevil. So... This is an endemic species. It's um, part of a much larger group of beetles that it's it's a type of weevil, but it's kind of in its own separate group. Um, that's largely a tropical group, but we have this, like many examples of New Zealand species, we have this oddity here in New Zealand where um, you know evolution's gone a bit crazy, and it's worked over a long period of time to produce these males that just have these enormously long extensions of their head. Hence the common name giraffe weevil. Um, and so when I first learnt about these creatures, I, I, you know, what becomes very obvious when you see pictures of them is that males and females look totally different. Um, the males have these really, really, really long um, extensions of their head. Their mandibles are right at the very end and they have these big long antennae that kind of hang out the front too. Whereas females are much shorter, their, their rostrum or the extension of the head is shorter and they use their little mouth parts on the end kind of like a drill piece to, to drill holes into trees to lay eggs. Um, and so what became really clear when I was watching them is that males are using these extensions of their head uh, as weapons. They use them to literally pick up and throw their opponents off trees so that they get more mating opportunities. It's all about competition. Um, and I guess a layer on top of that that meant that there was a PhD project involved here um, was that not only do males use them as weapons but there's also huge amounts of size variation from smallest to largest so we're just talking about adult beetles here so this isn't like a baby versus adult thing but just within adults alone small males can be as little as uh, 15 millimeters in length through through to 90 so that's like a six-fold difference from smallest to largest um, if you think about it in terms of body weight, so body mass, that's the equivalent, like so there's a 30 times difference from smallest to largest, and that's the equivalent of like an average human person scaling up to the equivalent of two massively huge adult male giraffes. So that would be the size difference, you know, within a human if we had that same kind of size variation as a giraffe weevil. That's incredible. <laughs> and you would think it would be almost cumbersome for the insects to uh, navigate around the place with such a massive appendage. Uh, but they place that much importance on 
getting their young (laughs) into uh, female weevils. Yep, absolutely, yeah. So you're right on the money with that. So it's it's a huge question when we're looking at the evolution of these kinds of big traits because the the idea really behind it is that how are how's an individual male that you know is producing this enormous weapon actually able to bear the costs whether that's you know um uh, locomotion costs in terms of how they, how it gets around the place um energetic costs because even just pr- holding a weapon like that because it's full of metabolically active tissue um, even just sitting there not doing anything t- the energetic um, demands on a on an individual just resting takes up about 30 or 40 percent of its energetic demands every day that's just across generally across um, insects so you'd imagine that an insect with a big weapon those costs should be a lot higher so there's sort of different interesting things at play there where it could be sort of an honest um production of this expensive thing like a big animal is just better at acquiring resources so it's better at producing these big weapons so it could you know it's a nice signal that well i'm big so and i can afford to produce this big thing so you know get out of my way because i'm i'm strong um but also some of our really recent research has actually looked at those metabolic or energetic demands on these weapons and we found an, an incredible thing recently where so we did to take a step back we did some really cool experiments where we um we put little weevils of different sizes onto little treadmills we we made treadmills out of um this is like super diy kiwi stuff here but we i don't know if you can think back to when we had cds in those you know those 10 packs of cds so we had one of those um the cases that the 10 packs of cds went into we had it onto a lego kind of construction thing with a rubber band that meant that it went round and round like a little treadmill Oh my God, nice. And then we put our weevils in and they had to do a little bit of exercise, like cruising around on this little treadmill for, I think, 10 minutes. Um, and then we looked at their metabolic rates after they've been active and then compared that to when they were just chilling out um, and having a rest. And in both of those situations, what was incredible is that um, it didn't, the bigger you were as a male weevil with these much, much bigger weapons, you actually, there was actually a lower per gram cost in terms of energy compared to small ones. So not only were they, you know, did they have these massive weapons, but they actually were able to, um, their me- me- metabolic rates were actually lower than, than a small male. So there's something that we're going on there where, you know, you've got this big weapon, but it's actually not necessarily costing you much in terms of your energetic demands. Um, and so we looked a little bit more closely at that and, and you mentioned earlier that you know these structures are typically made out of cuticle and that's exactly what we found is that um, small males, I think, so their, their rostrum or the extension of the head that's the weapon, it's made up about half half 50% cuticle and 50% soft tissue which is all the really energetically demanding tissue. but. And, I, and that was exactly the same between small males and females. But if we looked at large males, so these are the ones with the massive, disproportionately huge weapons, we found that their rostrum was actually 75% cuticle and only 25% of this expensive metabolically active tissue. So it's sort of like a little physiological trick, really, where although it looks you know, really big and impressive, it's actually filled with relatively a lot less costly, costly stuff that doesn't need as much um, maintenance to look after and that could be one of the little answers of how big animals with 
mass disproportionately huge weapons are actually able to do this um, at a relatively low cost than what you might imagine. I guess using it as like an honest, either an honest signal to its rivals or an honest signal to its potential mates, because we can think about weapons as being one side of the story, which is about you know rivals competing for mates, but we can also think about things like ornaments, like colours and um, structures that are used to attract females. There's sort of two sides to the story there. Um, so yeah, that's right. So you have some of these insects at the University of Waikato that you actually are sort of observing and running tests on to be able to understand them? Yeah, so actually um, with the giraffe weevils we have done most of our research in the field. So um, they, what's appealing about insects is that quite oftentimes they're pretty easy to bring back to the lab and observe. They're small and you can find pretty good numbers of them. Um, but the really nice thing slash very annoying thing about giraffe weevils um, is that they are very common and quite easy to find in the forest. Um, people don't really necessarily come across them very often, but once you know how to find them, they're pretty easy to spot. And they form these big aggregations in summer times on fallen trees in the forest. So it acts as a nice stationary spot where you can literally just sit there and watch them for days, weeks, months, whatever you, you feel like um, on end to answer a lot of these questions. Um, the tricky thing is, is that bringing them back into the lab and rearing them is quite challenging for a number of reasons. One, they live for an incredibly long time. So as larvae, they tunnel around within the tree for at least two to three years. So breeding them is near to impossible. Um, but and, and because the females need these fallen trees to lay the eggs into and all the behavior surrounds that the females need to be stationary drilling their hole for all the other things to fall into place like the fights and the um, mating around them so yeah simulating that in the lab is actually really tricky but I, I don't mind too much because it means I get to be out in the forest which is a lot more fun than sitting in the lab <laughs> can you do it locally here in the Waikato? Yeah, so I yeah I did a lot of my PhD research um, in Auckland, sort of in the Waitakere ranges. But yeah, since um, taking on the lectureship here at Waikato, um, I now do most of my research out at Mangatotiri um, on the Sanctuary Mountain there. Um, yeah, we found really good populations of them there on some of the fallen trees. So, um, but if you're out in the bush, just kind of looking around, um, I see them quite rarely in Pirongia Forest as well. So. Um, actually, all this recent bad weather and all these big f trees that have fallen down and a lot of their storms are perfect for giraffe weevils. So, yeah, when you're out bushwalking, if you see a tree that's fallen next to the path or across the path, um, yeah, just stop and have a little look, especially just on the slight underside where it's a bit darker and shadier. You might find some hanging out there doing their thing. Mm. So what do they look like, sort of like stick insects, like small stick insects? Yeah, they do look like a stick insect. Um, yeah, like a stick insect, but kind of hardened. They, because they, yeah, as beetles, they've got these hardened wing cases and the males, yeah, have this really, really long extension of the head and it kind of acts like a jousting pole. And then underneath that, it's got this big, he has this big row of dense hairs, like a mustache kind of running or a beard, depending on how you, imagine which way around a moustache and a beard is on a giraffe weevil um, that runs the underside of it so um, yeah the, the males are pretty obvious if you find them and yeah like they can an average one would be maybe three to four centimeters long although yeah they can get up to nine centimeters if you're really lucky to find mm. one of those well that's a decent size relatively easy for people to spot if they know where to look like yep. you say <laughs> yeah, that's right um so there is so much diversity and variation between species of insects. 
is it a challenge to comprehend all of that in your head? I mean, that's what your work is about, is about variation. Mm. Um, but I imagine there would be even different insects living down here compared to up in the Waitakere's mm. um, up in Auckland. Yeah, it is, it's, it is a big challenge. I think especially nowadays where you know, we're so highly connected globally and, and everything's online and people are under a lot of pressure to publish and do more and more really cool science. So, yeah, I mean, there's, it's impossible to keep up with everything that's happening on this these kind of questions. But, um, I mean, in terms of keeping it all up in your head, I think it helps to kind of narrow in on a couple of either questions or species that you're particularly interested in um, and you know at least try and keep relatively sane with those kinds of things Um, but of course you're always learning and always discovering new kind of bits of work that people are doing Um, but yeah I mean in terms of diversity yes there's a huge amount of diversity um, and lots and lots of other potential model systems to look at in New Zealand Um, you know, the more students that are interested in working on these, the better, because there's lots and lots of things that we, species that we just don't know anything about yet here in New Zealand. What other invertebrates have you been interested in studying? Quite a number. So, um, yeah, I mean, the giraffe weevils are my first kind of love in terms of, yeah, where my career started. But I've done, um, I've had postdoc positions, so research positions in, in several parts of the world. Um, I've worked on fiddler crabs in Darwin and sort of the tropics of Australia for a little while. Again, looking at kind of signalling behaviour in these um, crabs that have these huge big claws that act as both weapons and as um, signals to females. Um, I then had a postdoc in Singapore for a year, so I worked on um, jumping spiders over there, and that's where yeah started to work on arachnids. And there I wasn't so interested in weapons as I was in ornaments. So these were colourful, beautiful, beautiful coloured spiders that use these colours to attract mates, and also with yeah a little bit with um, fighting with other males as well. And I worked on a really fascinating species that. Um, we would find up in sort of the um, low lands of Malaysia um, that looks it's very very colorful but if you stand back a little bit it looks like an ant walking backwards Um, it's it's a very bizarre species and um, it if you were not able to resolve the colors if you're just standing a little bit back it really does look like an ant walking around in the wrong direction Um, and so I was very interested in that interplay between sexual selection so the colors that were important for mating versus the behaviors and the morphology that makes it look ant-like so that it avoids being eaten by a bird. Mm, It would basically look like a predator if, if, if a predator was attacking the spider from behind it would look like they're going straight on into a large ant. Yep, that's right. And ants are not something you want to mess with. They're nasty, especially yeah. in the tropics. Yeah, so they can shoot not venom, but acid. acid yep. Shoot acid. They bite. They can recruit all their nest mates to come and attack you back. They're yeah, generally not very nice critters and a lot of predators um in general avoid ants at all costs and so around the world there's literally millions of species that mimic ants for that reason is that they're just they tend to be a fairly safe group there's not 
things that predate on ants are specialist ant predators because they have to get around the ant defenses um so yeah really fun species to look at that one and um yeah lots and lots still to go uh, that was just a one year of uh, working on them so it was sort of just a taste really yeah sounds like an incredibly colorful pursuit of study so it was yeah, yeah really yeah. fun and continues to be <laughs> yeah yeah so I, I kind of got really into arachnids working in singapore and since returning to new zealand i first worked on harvestmen for a little while which are they're not spiders, but they look kind of spider-like. They're an arachnid that is actually a little bit more closely related to scorpions, and they have weapons too. So I did some work on them for a couple of years, um, and then since moving back to the to the Waikato from Auckland, um, I've focused yeah back on the giraffe weevils a bit, and also more recently got funded to work on fishing spiders, which um, are a group of species that are found all over the world, but there's four endemic species to Aotearoa, um, three here on the mainland, and one species that's threatened and found just on the Chatham Islands. Mm, fantastic. Well, it will be good to hear more about that study as well. You wanted to talk about um, bug of the year. Now, we have yes. bird of the year. <laughs> And people get very, very um, uh, involved in that and very passionate about their teams for various birds. Bug of the year, how is that? Yes, this is an inaugural bug of the year. Um, It was launched by the New Zealand Entomological Society who really thought it was about time that bugs got a bit more of of the highlight, share of the highlight with our favourite birds. Um, So there's 24 species that are up for nomination this year. Um, and you can choose three when you vote, uh, three of your favourites. And one of those species is, is the giraffe weevil, so I'm obviously heavily plugging that. Despite the fact that I'm doing some work on spiders, there's a bit of rivalry amongst my lab uh, between the spider people and, and the giraffe weevil people. Um, but, yeah, you can vote for up to three. Um, there's lots of different kinds of insects that are up and a spider, insects and one spider this year that you can choose from. Um, and the voting closes on the 13th of February, so there's still a few more weeks to decide. Um, there's a great website if you go onto the Bug of the Year website. Um, you can check out information about all the different nomin- nominees. Um, there's some cool resources like colouring pages to download if you've got kids or if you're just a big kid who likes colouring. Um, there's yeah various events happening around the country and um, we also are trying to link it all through iNaturalist. So if you do find something in your backyard that you're not sure of, you can upload it to iNaturalist um, and entomologists around the country will ID it for you. Um, and if it is one of the 24 species, then you can you know, learn a little bit more about that bug that you might become one of your favourites that you might like to vote for. Because I imagine people will see some insects in their gardens which they don't know what it actually is, but its behaviour and what it looks like intrigues them and they always like seeing that particular insect. Yeah, and iNaturalist is great because even if you have no idea what it is, you can upload it and there's <laughs> there's a lot of really keen entomologists and, and some just interested people who just really love bugs on the other end who will get in a little alert when you upload something and they'll jump straight into the opportunity to ID it for you. <laughs> and if it's something, you know, that's how we learn about things too. Like, you know, entomologists can't, keep their eye on everything happening around Aotearoa. So it's really important that people, you know, if they find something, especially that they recognise as being slightly unusual that they've not noticed before, no one's going to think they're silly if they upload it and it turns out to just be something common that just happened to walk through their backyard for the first time. Um, It could be a 
you know, a, an introduced pest that we don't want here that um, you might be the very first person to notice it. And that's how a lot of our incursions are discovered. So yeah, please do and yeah, engage with iNaturalist. Um, it's a great resource and scientists also use those observations to figure out patterns of distributions around the country too. So you essentially are entering data for for entomologists and other scientists when you when you upload a picture. Citizen science. Citizen science. <laughs> yeah, it's so useful and so fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of WTS Waikato. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook or find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.